Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Welcome to another episode of Walter's Talent Talk. Uh, this week, I am delighted to have with me Vincent Paye. Uh, he is the current CEO for Fering Pharmaceuticals Mexico and also currently the head of North of Latin America. Uh, he's going to be sharing with us today some insights on his career, his background, uh, and then, of course, uh, a little bit of insight around the, the, the pharmaceutical industry and things which are happening at the moment. Vincent, uh, hello. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for receiving me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a, a pleasure to to have you with us today. Um, let's jump straight into it, Vincent. Tell us a, a little bit about your your background and an introduction to you. Well, Vincent uh, is a French guy that is now based in Mexico. Uh, I think I, I've been living the last time I left France was in 2006. Uh, I've been studying in France uh, most of my uh, large studies, means uh, doing my PhD and the studies in science in Lyon. Then uh, I moved uh, the first time in 2000 to Argentina for two years and a half. And after that, back to Paris and uh, Mexico and Mexico, Miami, Miami, eight years back to Colombia, Colombia, a few years and back to Mexico now. So I'm a traveler. Uh, I'm married uh, with a guy. I have two kids and uh, working for the pharma industry now for uh, almost 22 years. Wow. What a what an international career in those 22 years. Yeah, you well, I'm not sure it's uh, about just the 22 years. That is uh, <laughs> amazing because it's just giving me a, a facing to my age. But uh, yes, it was very interesting <laughs> like, yeah, because I've been living in different countries and uh, addressing the needs of different people from different culture, uh, especially also when I was based in Paris. It was not to be uh, in charge of France. I was in charge of Africa, North Africa and the West Africa and some uh, very nice islands, by the way. And uh, yes, it's been a, a large change in culture and a very interesting uh, career. Fantastic. So we'll come uh, into speaking a little bit more about cultural differences in, uh, later on in the show. But something that's always interested me about your profile is you have a very technical background. Background. You you studied both your masters and your PhD in molecular and cellular biology. And now you're in a, a pure business role. Did you always know that you would gravitate from from this technical pathway into business? Absolutely not. I think uh, <laughs> when I started in the part of uh, the science, it's because I was definitely in love with science. I mean, when I, from a young age, I can remember that it was between uh, being a vet or physicians, then a hand with the part of uh, molecular biology, which was very uh, trendy at this time, uh, mm -hmm. still very trendy. And I think it was a good, uh, good decision at this time. Uh, it was a long, long part of my uh, studies because uh, basically after what we call the baccalaureate in France, I had uh, 10 years of studies to end my PhD, which was including three years of working for the uh, uh, agriculture uh, department of, uh, of France. But uh, you know what? At the end of these three years, I was so happy to, <laughs> to leave the lab. 
I mean, it was absolutely not the, the life I was expecting. I mean, uh, you just go in the lab, you change, you go to with these uh, white clothes and uh, you spend your day not talking too much because, because people yeah. want to focus on their job. And then you leave and, uh, well, you know what? I just decided after that, I did my publications. I published in Journal of Virology and then uh, I decided to do an MBA because I was thinking, well, I had to do something different. I was not exactly sure about what. I have absolutely no clue that I will end in the pharma business. I just thought, well, you know what? You have this PhD, you're good in science. Now you need to do some business. And uh, because I was quite good in communications and I ha had this feeling that I was feeling good with people talking uh, a lot. I decided to go to this MBA, I did finance marketing, and uh, well, it ends uh, in Argentina after one year. And was there one particular moment that led you to that decision or, of, of the MBA, or was something that, that built up over time? No, I think it was just uh, because I had these 10 years in, uh, in science and already three years uh, in working for a company. Uh, it was the government, but anyway, it was just working. I, I think the MBA was uh, an excellent option for me to have a full-time study because I was mm -hmm. eligible full-time MBA, had the opportunity to stop working because I was in France and it was paid by the government for kind of a reconversion. Uh, so I said, you know what, Vincent, go on that. You want to meet people with other experience. You want to uh, uh, have this uh, network with uh, people from coming from different uh, areas. And uh, that was exactly what the MBA offered. So I just moved on the MBA and from that, uh, it was just obvious after that, that I was a perfect mix between uh, thinking business, communications, marketing, and having the, the best background in science that you can, uh, you can expect. So, I mean, uh, a PhD was a very good background. So when I came to the market, uh, definitely my profile was quite uh, innovative and different. Mm -hmm. and I think that's why just getting out of the MBA, um, at this time it was Avantis, which now is Sanofi, it came to mm -hmm. me. I mean, we want you for six months in Argentina, which converted to two year and a half. And but, and what was what was your response to this initial request? You know, you're you're fresh out of the MBA. It's come to Argentina and 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 work for us. I mean, two two questions here. How did you adapt to it? And and what was the biggest challenge for you in this role? I think it was a, a few challenges. Uh, well, the good thing is that at least coming from France, the Spanish was already in my background because you mm -hmm. you had study Spanish. But I was absolutely not speaking Spanish, but it was in my background. So I had to go to the the, the, the language lab and just practice my Spanish. I, I think that was the, the big threat for me uh, to go in a country without talking with the language, because uh, again, I was talking with people. So it was very stressful. So I spent a lot of time there and I think it was good enough. Anyway, when I arrived to Argentina, I was speaking just English with people. And my English was yeah. a French English, so not so good at all. <laughs> so it was just my concern at the beginning. The other thing is that because it was my first uh, international travel in this region, I remember that I say yes. Well, when they offered the position, I say yes immediately. And yeah. uh, after that, I came back home, prepared my luggage. And it was June, July, so I said, okay, let's put all my, my clothes for summer and uh, <laughs> let's go there in six months, it will be just fun. And, uh, you know, Latin America, sun, beaches and everything. And I arrived to Argentina in July, <laughs> it was the, wow. the middle of the winter. It was so cold. I was with my shirt and my t-shirt. I was just, oh, my poor French guy, you're so, so disoriented. Uh, you, I didn't ever look on the map to know if it was the, the north or the south of the, the, the map. So 
So that's it. So I arrived there and um, I started my job uh, a few days after. Um, and I think it was just nice. I mean, meeting new people, this first uh, international experience uh, without any family, without any friends, just focusing on what I was doing and discovering. Just so exciting. So exciting. I still I have a feeling that I can go back uh, like the first day. I love it a lot. I, I can definitely relate to something in your, your your story here. Roughly four years ago, I moved to Robert Walters, Brazil, speaking some Portuguese, similar sort of situation to you, thinking, yeah, okay, I speak Portuguese. And then I remember the, the first day that I landed in the country, I thought, I don't speak Portuguese. And <laughs> then <laughs> I've, I've now been here in, in Robert Walters, Mexico for one and a half months, and a similar uh, sort of thing has, has happened here. Although I honestly believe that forcing yourself to learn uh, another language, whether you you speak it fluently, wherever you land in, in the, the spectrum, makes you a better communicator. You have to put more attention into the, the more uh, subtle signals of communication, really look to understand what the person is saying and make sure that your message can be can be sent. And I think it really sets you up for a, a leadership position to have that challenge in order to do that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And uh, by the way, when you arrive in a country, which was my case uh, a few months ago, coming back to Mexico, I think it was not about talking the language of people, which I, I do perfectly. I think my Spanish is just uh, like native Spanish, Spanish speakers. But I think it was about understanding people and just understanding the message they wanted to get to me. So, yes, I mean, but still, when you want to, to, to buy your French baguette in the morning, if you speak Spanish here, it's much better. So you go to a <laughs> place delivering French, uh, French bread in Mexico. <laughs> so starting to talk a little bit about your, your time here in Mexico, we're going we're gonna to start with, with fairing, first of all. So I'm sure many of our listeners have, have heard of Fairing. They roughly know what the company does. But can you provide us with a bit more details, please? Yeah, so Fairing, it's a, it's a private-owned multinational, which is quite, um, there's a very limited number of uh, big pharma private-owned. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a nice concept. Uh, I like it a lot because uh, you have a different way of uh, management and you don't have so much hierarchy in the company. Mm -hmm. uh, around the world, we are close to 6,500 people. Um, if we think fairing, I think uh, there's at least three therapeutic areas that may come. The first one is uh, reproductive medicine and uh, maternal health. That's the main uh, asset of the company, and that's where we are very strong in the world. Um, I think around the world, it's, uh, it's more than 3.7 million babies that have been uh, uh, born uh, thanks to fairing in the past. Then we have some uh, therapeutic area a bit more linked to disease like uh, gastroenterology, uh, urology, and oncourology. So mm -hmm. products are produced in Europe. Uh, originally were from Sweden. Uh, we moved in Switzerland uh, uh, more than a decade ago and uh, the headquarters is now in between part in Switzerland for the, the headquarters and the, uh, the board and the rest is in Copenhagen, uh, where we have a big presence also for research. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the world, in fact, we have uh, the, the main, let's say, the main sales are in Europe. Uh, then you have US, uh, which is competing with Europe, of course. And maybe the trend now is changing. Uh, US being getting uh, bigger than Europe in the in the coming years. Uh, we are present in uh, Asia Pacific and uh, in Latin America. We have one affiliate in Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. Okay, excellent. And you have spent time in how many of those countries? 
for fairing? Well, I started in Mexico in 2010, then uh, I've been opening the regional office for Latin America in, uh, in Miami, spending eight years in Miami, then three years and a half opening the uh, new affiliate in Colombia and uh, just moving back to Mexico uh, where we, we changed the structure of the organization. So I'm the, the CEO for Mexico, but also for Central America and Spanish Caribbean and the English Caribbean islands. Excellent. And I know that you are a, a both very passionate and innovative person. And, and I know there's a particular project that you worked on, in fact, initiated whilst you were based in Colombia, and that's Plan M. Can you tell us a little bit about Plan M? Yeah, so the, the M would be for mother, mom, mama, maman, so just associated to maternity, in fact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Plan is because uh, we are considering to support the uh, uh the construction of your family so mm -hmm. when we started plan m in colombia it's uh right after making some studies and serving the country and we realized that uh, there was new concept of the family in fact uh, one part is about uh, what uh, women are expecting now from life and the studies mm -hmm. and the career and the other part is about what is the new concept of families. I will just read both of them. So if we look at what uh, we, we, when we looked at Colombia, what was the situation for uh, women, uh, we see that basically uh, for the women studying, they are studying a bit more than 10 years uh, mm -hmm. in total, which is slightly more than men. And of course, we are expecting to have an executive career now. And associated to that, we have seen a transition in the priority for women, especially between the range of 20 to 35 years old, which was the target of the study. And we have seen uh, a ranking in priority, which was the following. And it's uh, my career, my travels to know the rest of the world, coming back to my country for postgraduate, and mm -hmm. then starting to look for a boyfriend and then thinking about family. If you put that in the order of the priority, you come close to 34, 35 years old when you start thinking about fertility and creating family, which is quite uh, opposite to what is exactly your body because the body has not changed. And in fact, um, especially for women, you start the uh, menstruation very early. So your fertility age starts early, close to 11 years old. Mm -hmm. And then uh, your uh, ovary reserve is decreasing in the time. So when you come to 35, it's already quite a bit late to start thinking about uh, natural fertility. And that's why we decided to create Plan M, which is a project for a community of uh, women, men interested in planning fertility, planning the family, where we mm -hmm. uh, create some awareness about what is your reproductive health, what is fertility, what does it mean to create family. What, and then we talk about how to combine better your family and your career so that you yeah. don't have one pushing the other out or don't not always looking for uh, the perfect balance because it's quite difficult. And of course, it comes to what the science can bring to you if you want to better plan, which is always part of uh, egg freezing or trends. And also, if you can to go on the infertility part, you may have some treatment that you may want to know better. And that's the part that we do with awareness. The other side is creating more access for people. And mm -hmm. the access for us, uh, we have uh, uh, three main pillars of access. The first one, uh, planning is working with bank and insurance to create more opportunity 
with these institutions to be sensitive to the topic of creating families and this changing the new generation. So we ask them to create some new health credit so that people can finance when it's out of the pocket, which is the case in Latin America. They can yeah. create them this kind of loans dedicated to health treatment, making people uh, solutions to, to take their decision easier in the future. I'm not being confronted to have to pay, but I can pay, so I don't take the decision. Yeah. So that's one part. The other part is uh, getting closer to companies. I think now companies, there's a, a nice trend that we see in the US that is uh, that we want to extend to Latin America, which is uh, considering that in the new generations, we want to take care of employees, not only when they have families, but we want to take care of them when they come to the company and we want to go with them in their project of families, which means some companies are now taking consideration of uh, contributing to fertility treatment when it's needed can be for freezing your eggs, like which is quite common now in Google and California with all these uh, uh, like on uh, uh, unicorn companies. But now you can have also some treatment for fertility, treatment for infertility, and then you have treatment for surrogacy. So you want to give a hand to your employees so they feel better at uh, the job. You will just go with them longer in their uh, family journey, starting before and not only after. And this trend is getting common in the US. You see companies like Progeny, Carrot, that are just moving on that part, giving services to companies, but it's not so common in the Latin America countries. Mm -hmm. So. That's the second part of what we do. We meet with the companies, we teach to the employees about what is fertility, fertility planning, and then uh, we connect with companies that are US-based for the moment so that they can create some opportunities for companies to create some new benefits. Just taking the opportunity to, to share that fairing announced uh, two months ago that they are creating a, a fairing, a building family program inside fairing for employees which consider every of the options that I recently mentioned, which is freezing, fertility, Excellent. adoption, surrogacy for GBT couples. So there's a lot of options that we can find now that we're pushing. And then we work just, with just, just, just to jump in here, Vincent, um, firstly, incredible. I, th I think every, everything you, you, you've just described. Um, now, obviously being in, in the recruitment industry and thinking about talent and talent attraction, talent retention, I think everything you've just said is fantastic. But then, of course, I have my recruiter's hat on. And mm -hmm. I'm saying this is a fantastic strategy for retention. And, and in today's world where it's more and more competitive, we're seeing the average length of time that people stay within businesses decreasing year on year. To be able to add these kind of additional benefits and really look after the person holistically which is one of the trends that we saw come out of of of, of the pandemic and of covid is that people want to be considered holistically rather than just simply as a worker it really helps with with retention so i, I can see a lot more companies getting on board with this in their in the future absolutely uh, and uh... I can tell you every time that we go inside a company with plan M, so first uh, i mean it's, it's not an easy 
an easy way. Uh, just remembering that uh, I'm still the CEO of Fairing. So when you want to go in a company, you have to, to show your white hand, say, I'm not Fairing today, I'm Plan M. And I'm coming to do some awareness campaign and I want to talk with your employees. Uh, they immediately open the door. And when you start, and because there's also this trend of inclusion, diversity, uh, we want to make people happy at job. We want to make them just feeling at home. Uh, we want to consider every kind of people. You, it, It's just opening wider the, the, the door to come in. And uh, then we start this kind of conversation with employees and we see their face changing. Uh, it's funny because uh, last week I was in, in Bogota and uh, talking with the people from HubSpot. And when you talk about culture of employees, of course, HubSpot is uh, it just putting you know, higher than anyone uh, because they have a lot about diversity, inclusion, LGBTs, and they work on uh, uh, remote places, the uh, home office, and everything. But mm -hmm. with them, they were feeling that Plan M can help them to be sure that people are living these values because they were saying, yes, people are so happy and they come to HubSpot for that. But once they are inside the company, they are not really living the values and the principles of the company at, uh, at full time. And someone that is coming because he thinks that he's gay and he would be happy in an LGBT open company, it's nice. But are you ready to also talk to your the guy next to you at your desk? to say, you know what, I'm gay. No, they are not. So yeah. people are not living values fully. And I think that's what we are trying to do also with planning, just making them facing the reality of uh, the changes, the values of the companies and uh, helping them to, uh, yeah, maybe to spot out and to start speaking louder, uh, which is not so common inside a company and maybe less common in Latin America. It is, it's interesting because I see in my position going to meet various different clients, I see both sides of it. I see in, in some occasions clients have that have fantastic values, fantastic, fantastic ethics and a fantastic culture, and they don't know how to sell it. And then I see the other side where people oversell. And as you've just said, they don't practice it on a day to day basis. So it's really interesting as we're starting to see this equilibrium of, of kind of ethics, culture and, and, and how it's all now balancing out a lot more than it did pre pandemic. Yeah, and uh, I think it's, it's really linked to how the company will implement these new values, but also uh, linked to how the leaders will implement this value with their team. So yeah. um, there's still a big job to do. And the fact that you have a diversity and inclusion uh, policy in your company doesn't mean that it's well implemented or that people are really leaving these this values uh, at 100% as you would like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Before we move on to the next topic, Vincent, can you share with us any results from, from Plan M, how, any impacts or quantifiable impacts that you've had on any communities? Yeah, in fact, uh, we, we launched it. Uh, so we started in 2019. Uh, we launched uh, by the half of 2020, so middle of the COVID, the, uh, uh, the part of Comsite and Instagram community and Facebook. I think today we are close to 25,000 uh, people in the community. Uh, which is quite a good success. And uh, what we see is that we are creating also the link between uh, the users and the specialists in science. Uh, we, there is a, a link for uh, finding clinic specialists and uh, we, can, we have seen a, a lot of growth in this part. So it means that basically we are reaching our point 
big community in uh, the, the free channels that we are using and uh, also a large communications uh, in finding specialists to have some solutions, which is exactly mm -hmm. what we want because we just do wellness. But then if people have some questions, what we want is to just give them the good direction so they can find. I think in, in Planen, we have 95% of the uh, fertility clinics uh, specialists in uh, Bogota inside as uh, allies of the Planen. So, in fact, it's very open and uh, and we see a lot of uh, flow of conversion of people coming in, asking uh, information and then well, I'm sure that they find their way. Fantastic. I wish you all, all the best with it uh, in, in the future. Sounds fantastic. Um, next next topic of conversation we've all spoken about it many many times before covid and uh, it's it's lasting impacts um in in recruitment we are often viewed as as some of the first people to really be able to view what's happening on the industry as a whole because obviously we start to have various different conversations with our clients and one of the most interesting uh, topics recently is the increased demand for roles focused around digital transformation now Across the world, Robert Walters, we've grown our digital teams. Uh, we've opened new divisions. We're, we're hiring on all of them at the moment. Um, what, what does digital transformation mean to you within the pharmaceutical industry? Well, I think we've seen the, the digital coming in different places. First, uh, internally. Uh, internally mm -hmm. The digital transformation has been the, uh, the rise of uh, some new tools. I mean, the one we use today, uh, which is Teams, is definitely something that was not so used before. So uh, the fact that we were able to communicate at more time with more people at the same time, uh, maybe at, at too many times, uh, was uh, a change. Uh, for we've, the, all, we've all had a bit of co um, Teams fatigue uh, as, at some point. Yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. So sometimes you just have the feeling that because you go on Zoom, it would be different, but it's exactly the same, <laughs> same feeling. Uh, I, I just remember that since the beginning, we started with this kind of uh, support of video conferences. Uh, I was just requesting all, all the team to be uh, facing orders. I mean, uh, opening the camera and uh, uh, because it was just making it a little bit more humanized than uh, just talking in the microphone. Uh, so I see my team still doing it quite a lot, which is also more, uh, you're getting more tired by looking at people, but at least you see they are interested in what you say, which I think is quite important. So then we had a, a few new new tools, I would say internally about reporting and things like that, which I think was underway anyway. So it's not really consequence on COVID. On the other side, there's the external tools that we have now for, especially for the Salesforce. Um, if we look at the Salesforce, they they gain a lot in in uh, interacting with uh with the physicians and digital tools so uh, first they started to use also the same teams uh for mm -hmm. case but the whatsapp has been also one of the biggest uh, way of uh, contacting physicians during the covid and uh, still after the covid i think uh, uh i have never seen so many uh people exchanging on uh, on whatsapp and uh, you have so many contacts on your phone that wasn't the case before because we were yeah. just looking at the door you were not calling the people to come and uh, now everything is on whatsapp and you also ask can i go yes no so i think communication tools for the salesforce has been quite important and also on crm i think there has been a, a few evolutions of the tools and um then I think also the supply has been changing on digital. So we see we are not yet so positions on that. Uh, I'm st I still have some uh, some things to 
uh, maybe to analyze and to see how we will fit with that. But especially in Latin America with Rappi, which is the uh, uh, the super version of Uber, but uh, less expensive. Uh, we've seen some product coming on Rappi and uh, people just purchasing product and uh, uh, apps uh, directly. So it means that for the pharma product, it's, uh, it's a big change because once uh, once upon a time you had to go in your car, uh, find the pharmacy, find a good product and be sure that the pharmacy had the product. And today uh, you just go on Rappi or you go on Uber and you go on the app at the pharmacy and you start to purchase your product. So it means that yeah. we're getting more access to our product, which which is an improvement for us in the, in the pharma industry. And finally, the marketing has been also the one using a lot of digital for congresses, for special events, workshop. All the campaigns are now digitals and for patients, uh, well, more tools also for information. So you have mm -hmm. more website and site for patients to find information. So that's what I, I think has been um, yeah, pushed a bit more faster than expected uh, after the COVID. Okay. And specifically with, with sales reps uh, using technologies such as Teams, Zoom, whatever it is, where do you see the balance? Do you still believe in the face-to-face -face contact? Do you push your sales teams to 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 do this? How, where do you sit on that? Uh, it's a it's a hard question, a hard question, and uh, we had it yesterday. I think we were talking with other people from the pharma industry, and I was telling them that, well, I I think today the first the customer doesn't doesn't want to see you so often. That's the first thing. So don't yeah. think about the reps. Is it the reps who want to go face to face because he thinks he will have more options to sell? But first, the customers they don't want to see you so often. So there's a, a reduction of the opportunity to do face to face. Then also our reps have been just uh, moving to other options to um, contact their uh, their clients. And I think that, yes, there's some new options that are getting closer to us. Uh, a few companies like uh, IQV, yeah, but uh, I think there's uh, a few other ones are proposing some remote reps, uh, which I would not say digital reps, it's remote reps. Mm -hmm. People doing the visit to the physicians through uh, WhatsApp, through uh, a computer, um, instead of being inside the company. So I think it's another option that is coming. It's just giving you the opportunity to cover large regions without traveling without the traffic jams uh, because that's also one of the points if you, when you people are living in one city and you ask them to cover 10 or 20 cities in the regions uh it starts to be just losing a lot of time consuming a lot yeah. of gas that's not really a green way of doing promotion so i think there will be a combination of both and uh, also the profile of the, the reps that you're looking for uh, they will need to be better in communications and uh, in remote communications and also in closing some deals via uh, Teams or WhatsApp, which is maybe a different skills that were not so mm -hmm. present in the past, which I think is maybe quite well linked to the Gen Z coming on because they love to speak and they love to be uh, just on the other, uh, other side of the, the, their iPhones or iPads. Uh, they don't want to see so much people. They, they yeah. like to be at distance. So that's maybe the new generation coming, no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not only th th they like to do it, they're, they're very, very comfortable doing it. It's the, the easiest way for them to, to do business. I certainly am a bit more old school in that respect. I prefer the face-to-face, the -face, and sometimes I, sh I struggle without that that human contact. So it's definitely about these, these changes with, with Gen Z. Well, I think the change is done. Uh, uh, if you look where uh, I was just uh, finishing a book um, last week, uh, The Murderers, 
And mm -hmm. uh, when you read what is the metaverse, uh, you understand that this generation of what well, my kids are, uh, well, my daughter, she's 15, she doesn't like the part of metaverse, but my kid is 13 and is in all time. And uh, you see that they're, and for them, they are doing communication all day. Yeah. But in their rooms, they talk with maybe 10 people during the day that they are partnering on the, the same game. And the, uh, But then comes the communication inside the game and things that you don't see that for them is the communication, that for you is not communication. But, well, that's it. Uh, I think the solution will come also to adjust this new generation and to give them the opportunity to the communication with also the, the physician will be a new generation. So, uh, well, maybe uh, I would not say that I'm has been, which is already an old wording of uh, being a uh, past, but it's that's the situation. Uh, so Gen Z is a topic that, that can go in, in many different types of, uh, many different lines of conversation. Um, let's uh, focus on Gen Z with, within business. We spoke about the expectations of, of, of women specifically changing, and you mentioned that the order has now changed to career, travel, postgrad studies, boyfriend, family. But Gen Z as a whole, the expectations have, have, have changed as well. What do you feel are Gen Z's expectations within business right now? Well, what I feel is what I'm reading now, because uh, still here, uh, if I look at the percentage of Gen Z, it's still very low. I think it's under 10%. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's not that I have so much experience, but when you read about Gen Z, it's quite clear about what you're expecting. They want to um, to have flex flexibility at work. That's mm -hmm. one of the points. They want to have recognition at work. They want to be engaged and to be contributing uh, they want to uh, celebrate success. They also want to have a salary increase every 10 months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, important for them. Uh, I think today um, it's about every 14 months. So we are just cutting by two, uh, the expectation of salary increase. And they think that if uh, you don't give them all that, they can find something different to do. Uh, of course, in the background, you have all the part of uh, sustainability, which I think is uh, it's important and uh, uh, will remain important. Uh, sustainability in terms of uh, uh, ecology, in terms of uh, people, inclusion, diversity, uh, equity, equitability inside the company, uh, but also the job definition. Am I working for a company that is working for the future of the planet of not? Uh, that's the kind of thing that also appear as quite important for them and they go fast so um, yeah. and if you don't get them in one-to-one -one every week uh, they will just leave the company because they will think that they are not so important for you yeah yeah let's um let's delve into one of those topics you mentioned various let's delve into one of them in particular diversity and inclusion what would you say is the expectation from Gen Z, uh, the expectation of a, uh, of a Gen Z's employer? What, what, what do they need to be doing on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis? Because we've already spoken about it. It's very easy to say that your business is aligned with these values. It's very easy to say that you, you, you don't discriminate, but what does it really mean on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think what we need to do is first to stop putting on the wall of the company, the value and the principle, thinking that it's just enough to convince people. And then we have to, to live it. 
I mean, just uh, you need to lead the values on a day-to-day basis. So uh, I just take uh, my my proper example. Uh, you know, uh, I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the talk that uh, I'm married with a guy. Uh, mm-hmm. We had two kids by surrogacy. Our kids are born from a black Afro-American woman. Uh, so there's a lot of things that I can explain to show that the rest of the employees that I'm leading the inclusion diversity day to day. And I'm the Fantastic. CEO of the company. So basically, when I tell them that they are coming to a company that is inclusive and uh, with uh, diversity, they can see it, they can live mm-hmm. it, the door is mm-hmm. open and they feel comfortable. So I think what they are expecting from us is show me that what you say is the truth, I will follow you. If you just bullshit me with your words on the wall, uh, it will never be enough for me. So uh, let's let's be out. It's it's the classic example of actions speak louder than words. Uh, Absolutely, uh, and we have to be ourselves. I mean, uh, there's nothing more convincing that uh, showing who you are and that you trust the rules of the company, you live it every way, every day, and that you, you are open to talk about it and maybe to discuss about why it's the fundament of your company. So at, here in Fairing, of course, there's uh, definitely a lot of value with people. So the philosophy of the company is people come first. Uh, so when we come to diversity inclusion, we have a global uh, international committee for uh, inclusion and diversity. Um, the company is working at all time to deliver new solutions for people. So, of course, it's, it, it's including the, uh, this topic of inclusion diversity. We have been delivering, I think, uh, last year, uh, close to 2.9 million euros of grants uh, about uh, equity for access to fertility treatment for everyone, including black populations, color population, LGBT population. So, that's what we do on a daily basis, and I think these kind of numbers on an annual basis show that we are definitely doing what we are uh, preaching. And uh, inside the companies, that that's important that our leaders feel the same way and uh, show the same culture with their employees and the uh, direct reports. So you mentioned a couple of times there you have to practice what you preach or you have to live it every day. You, you mentioned it in a couple of different ways. To me, there are different ways to say that you need to be authentic. Now, if you go into a bookshop, uh, bookstore and you pick up any book on leadership, you know, how to be a great leader, almost all of them will say you need to be authentic. But very, very few of them will tell you how to be authentic. And I want to know from your opinion, is, some, is being authentic something which is inherent in a person? Or if you don't feel that you're particularly authentic, is it a skill that can be developed? Well, I definitely, definitely think that it can be developed. Uh, maybe some people are very authentic and natural and that's it. And uh, that's perfect. But you still have some bias in the way you're addressing some topics because you have a culture, you have, uh, yeah, you've been raised by the, your parents in a certain uh, yeah, country. So not that your your authenticity will fit with the, the values also with the people you are you are working with so you mm-hmm. have to be authentic but you also have to adjust you have to be sure that you're not aggressive when you want to be too transparent you have to be sure that the others will understand the, the radical transparency i mean that's one of my uh, main principle 
um, from Redalio, radical transparency. But when I started to do that, my coach told me, I mean, don't do that so so fast. People <laughs> no, are not no, ready not, for that. Not, not, so, not so radical. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think that's where you, you want, if you want to be a, a good leader, of course, you want to be transparent. You want to be uh, authentic in your decision process. But you also want to be sure that the way you act is adjusted to the people you're working to the culture of the country and that that's where i'm going i mean you can still learn that by reading by accepting feedback which is of course something that is not so easy and uh, uh, i don't sometimes i can say that uh, latin america is not well advanced in something and europe is different but i think maybe us is more advanced in uh, the term of feedback and you feel just like you can sit in front of your boss and say okay you know what what you just told me this morning i'm not happy with that but don't do that in Europe. I mean, in France, for instance, if you do that, I mean, okay, the door is open. Thank you for telling me. Uh, if we can't work together, I'm happy to give you a check. So, yeah. and Latin America is the same. There's a, a kind of a fundamental respect for what they call the jefe, the boss, mm-hmm. and um, sitting in front of your boss to tell him that there's something that you disagree is a big work. So, you work on yourself. But then you have to work with your executive team and then the executive team with their team. And uh, so you have to cascade this change of culture because definitely the uh, authenticity, uh, the, the fact that you create trust with your people, it's not something natural. It's a work that you have to do. But there is a lot of uh, techniques on that. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Patrick Lencioni and uh, all his, his book about the weaknesses of team. And we, that's what we use, by the way, with my team to develop this kind of confidence between people so that uh, all the employees should be able at the end of this training to um, request from his boss as much as the boss is requesting to the employee. That's the objective. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, excellent. So last question for today. Uh, this is a, a podcast, a show focused on talent. And I ask the same question to all of my guests. How do you define talent? Okay, so I, I knew about the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know about this one because I've been listening to the other podcasts. So I, I will try not to be too much repetitive with the others. But I, I just put four words, uh, four words that I think are very well oriented to, um, to talent. Uh, the first was, and the first one is uh, creative. Uh, I think talented people are the one that are just um, unleashed and express their creativity at all times. Um, being yourself, uh, if you can be yourself at work, you will definitely be a big talent for the company. Yep. Um, engaged. Mm-hmm. Come back to what we say about the Gen Z, how we can get people engaged. If they are engaged with the, 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 the company, they will deliver a lot. And I think that's where we have good, talented people and endorsed because they want to be recognized. They want to uh, contribute to the growth of the company. So that's the four words that I will associate. Creativity, being yourself, being engaged and uh, endorsed by your boss. Excellent. And I like the way that all of those link to both the the individual and and the, the pure talent of the individual but also you're thinking about it from a management perspective and how can we unleash that talent so what does the individual need in order to be successful fantastic that brings us to the end vincent thank you very much thank you richard uh,
Um, absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show. Um, really enjoyed this conversation and, and I truly do wish you all the best with all of these different projects. Uh, Plan M in, in particular sounds fantastic. If anyone wants to find out any more information, is there any way that, that they can go? What's, what's the website address, for example? Yeah, it's uh, planm.com. So plan is B-L-A-N-M, like mum, dot com. Mm -hmm. Quite easy to find. Excellent. Good. And of course, if you are looking for any more detailed information on recruitment or Robert Walters or have any demands within your, your team at the moment and would like a chat with one of our consultants, uh, please feel free to, do, to visit robertwalters.com and then you can then be directed to the, your relevant local site. Thank you very much, everyone, and we look forward to the next episode of the podcast.